Let's take our Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. I was gone last Sunday, but uh, by Thursday morning, I received a copy of the article that was in the paper on our family. Uh, the really neat thing about that was that uh, it honored God. I was just so grateful that it honored the Lord and not just the family. But uh, uh, I do need to make one clarification. I have not been married twice, for those of you who called the office. I was 19 when that picture was made, and uh, I was still enjoying life. I mean, not that I haven't enjoyed life after marriage, but I mean, I was, I was still footloose and fancy free. That's my brother John's wife, and that was an editor's mistake, not the writer. The editor stood in the office, and we told him that John had just gotten married to uh, Joanne. But uh, she thought that was funny, too. She wouldn't want to be married. I'll tell you, I've had hard enough time keeping the one I've had for 39 years. I can't take care of two. But anyway, you know what I mean. Um, uh, that's, uh, it was a great article, and I praise God for it and uh, uh, thank the Lord. I can't believe they put something so positive on the front page. Can you? Uh, and that was uh, a tribute to God. Tribute to God. I could not leave the book of Proverbs till we had taken up this text. It is chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? Now, I want to ask you today, does it do any good to be good? That's a question a lot of people ask. I mean, if, if I'm righteous, if I work hard at being upright, will there be some reward? Will it come back to me? Does what goes around come back around? A very simple question. A little girl was given a bag of potato chips by her mother, and she went off to eat them, and uh, she came back crying in a few minutes and said that her older brother and sister had taken the bag of potato chips. And she said, uh, Mama, that's not fair. Mother said, Honey, you've got to learn that life is not fair. She said, I'm not talking about fair, uh, a life. I'm talking about potato chips. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. They got my potato chips. Is life going to give back what you give? Is God going to make sure that the upright man is cared for? God rewards the righteous by making their goodness attract others to him so that they can reproduce fruit in their own lives. Now, let me say that one more time. The reward for righteousness is far more than material blessing. It is a life of significance and influence in that our lives attract others to him. Now, I think for many years we've probably done the exegesis of this verse some, some damage. It is not that the righteous are a tree of life. It's that the fruit of a righteous life is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. And the Hebrew word for wins is a strong word that is variously translated capture or collect 
or receive or bring together. So there's the idea of picking everything up as you would fruit under a tree, gathering the fruit under the tree. Uh, I live down the street from Ivy and Lena Stack, and he's got an old-fashioned black apple tree from England that I think his grandfather gave him. And I walk by his corner every day, and when the apples come in, I, have you ever had a black apple? My wife made a black apple pie, and I mean, it would make your tongue rejoice. It was so good. And nearly every year, and I'm hoping again this year, nearly every year he shares a few of those apples out from under that tree. So I get at least one black apple pie. But, but, but the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So the future of Christianity really hinges on the fruit of your life, doesn't it? You know, the, the, the evangelism of this church does not hinge on whether we have padded pews. It really doesn't hinge on the preacher. In the long run, it doesn't hinge on the music. It hinges on whether or not you and your life are bearing fruit. And whether you're collecting the fruit that your life is putting out there at the tree of life. Why should I be a good, why should I be a good anything? Why should I be a good football player, a good basketball player, a good baseball player, good opera singer? Why should I be a godly believer? If I do what is right, will it be rewarded? Now, I want you to see three things in this chapter. First, there is a description of the righteous. It's like the writer says, I don't want you to make any mistake about who and who is not the righteous man. And so we look at his description as we go down through the chapter beginning in verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, number one, the righteous man or woman is not a cheat. He is not a cheat. He doesn't push to take advantage unduly. He does not, as a matter of fact, uh, put his thumb on the scales. When I was back in Ashtabula, kind of cleaning up one of Dad's residences here a couple weeks ago, I went by the store. Well, I remember when I was 11 or 12, Dad, the night before Thanksgiving, had tried to buy a chicken. The man had one last chicken, and he laid his thumb on the scales. And Dad said, there's no way that wee little chicken could weigh that much. And so he told the, the man to put the chicken on the scales and then walk away from the scales. And the chicken weighed about two-thirds of what it did when he weighed it before. And he knew he was weighing his thumb on the scales, the old trick. The righteous man is not a cheat, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. And the righteous man is not, if you please, is not a proud man or a proud woman. That's the righteous man. Notice verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. The righteous man is not a hypocrite. Now, in, if you see Hebrew parallelism here, the first line is designed to contrast with the second. So in the second line, through knowledge, the righteous are delivered. The hypocrite, through lack of knowledge, gets into trouble because he destroys his neighbor with his mouth. 
either he, A, is a hypocrite because he tells something that he knows is not true, or he tells what he does not know as, as, uh, as if it is true. And through knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Who is the righteous man? Verse 12, he is not a belittler. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. That's the righteous man or woman of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if God made you and God made me and God doesn't make any junk or any trash, then you and I have no right to belittle anybody or to put anybody down. The word here is despise, to belittle, to put down. I was reading the other day of the 10 things that teenagers dislike most that their parents do. The, the, the second thing is they dislike being put down anytime. Notice, if you will, verse 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. He is a, not a gossiper. He doesn't tell everything he knows. Now, folks, you know a lot about me. I know a lot about you. I don't tell everything you, I know about you. I, I can't do that. And, and you better not tell everything you know about everybody else. And don't take what is given as a prayer request in a Sunday school class and broadcast it all over Winston-Salem with a billboard on I-40. Don't be a gossip. The righteous man conceals a matter because he has a faithful spirit, but a talebearer, a gossiper, reveals secrets. Now, don't, don't come in and ask me to promise never to tell. You know, I'm always alerted to the person who comes in and says, uh, now, now, I really shouldn't be telling you this, but I, I want to tell you something. <laughs> I, I, I promise not to tell, but, but I need to tell you. And you raise your guard right there and say, Whoa, wait a minute. But by the same token, I'm, I'm very careful. If somebody walks into me and says, I want to tell you something, will you promise you'll never tell? I, I usually won't make that promise. Because I don't, if you come in and tell me you're going to kill your wife at 3 o'clock, I'm telling. I'm going to tell. So I'm going to say, will you trust me with discretion as to what I tell? The righteous man or woman is not the gossiper, and he has a faithful spirit, and he conceals the truth, sometimes because he knows that the truth will hurt. All truth doesn't have to be spoken to all people. Amen? And so that's the righteous man. Look at verse 14. The righteous man or woman does not shun counsel. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Man, ain't none of us as smart as all of us, the old man said. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody here needs counsel, and the righteous man, isn't that interesting? Why would the righteous man take counsel? Because he understands he needs accountability and he needs the advice of others. This is a description of a righteous man. Why do we look at that? God is for the righteous and the wicked are an abomination to him. In most of the pagan religions of the world of antiquities, the gods demanded sin, not righteousness, Look at the, the worship of Diana. 
It was filled with sexual orgies. You go back and study false religions, and there is no one that demands righteousness to a, an objective outside standard the way the God of the Bible demands right living and holiness. And every other God demands things that are unrighteous and filthy and unholy. You think about it. And so in verse 20, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The man who walks up rightly with an undivided heart is just a delight to the Lord. Have you got a child who's a delight to you? Have you got a child who just always delights your heart? That's the way the Lord looks upon the upright. The blameless in their ways are his delight, and those of a perverse heart are an abomination. I'm telling you, God is against sin because he's a holy God. God is against perversion. God is against, abom is against uh, uh, ungodliness of any kind. It's an abomination to him. Verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I could give you a lot of illustrations of that, but I might get in really deep weeds if I did that. But it's, you know, the book of Proverbs is a challenge to an expository preacher because it's a, a book full of principles and truisms. And you rarely can take a whole paragraph. What we're doing is seeing how a chapter supports this, this theme. But, but I want you to understand what a, a vivid picture he draws here. If you can picture a valuable gold ring in the nose of a pig who's going to dip it in slop every day, who's going to get it in the mud every day, who doesn't know how to use what he has. Now you've got the picture of a gorgeous, beautiful woman who knows how to dress, but doesn't know how to act. She may be beautiful on the outside, but there's a difference. Hey, folks, I'm getting old, but I ain't blind yet. Amen? Uh, <laughs> there is a difference between external attraction and internal beauty. And frankly, internal beauty will outweigh external beauty every single time. Some of the ugliest women I've known externally are the most beautiful because of their spirit. And you see, what he's getting at is that a righteous, godly woman, or man for that matter, has discretion. He knows or she knows when to speak, when not to speak, and what to say and what not to say, and how to say it. Let me remind you, God is for the righteous, and he hates the wicked. They're an abomination to him. Uh, let's look at the second thing, the attraction of the righteous. Now, here we have it in uh, our text, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. But what exactly does that mean? Now, let me challenge your politically, religiously correct idea of this verse. All my life, or most of my life, I thought this meant that a righteous man is like a tree of life. But that is not what that verse says. That is not what that verse means. It means that my life 
has righteous deeds coming out of it, which are fruit of the God in me. Now that I'm a Christian, I have Christ in me. He is the hope of glory. And the qualities that come out of me are qualities of Christ. They're righteous qualities. But those qualities are fruit of my life, and they bear a tree of life. Each of those is a tree, and each of those trees bears fruit in the sense that it attracts people to Christ. It's not, uh, it's not my life that attracts people to Christ. It's not my wisdom that attracts people to Jesus. My goal is not to clone me. My goal is not to lead people to Mark Courts. My goal is not to make people like Larry Johnson. I, I like you, Larry, and, and that's good, but that's not my goal in life. You got it? My goal is to bring people to Christ so they can be like Jesus. Now, what I want you to see is that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then he says, he that wins souls is wise. So it's the, the qualities of my life. That's why I put emphasis on righteous deeds. It's the qualities of my life and your life that produce fruit, which produce the tree, which attracts others. Watch this. Follow with me. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright will guide them. but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Note verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless will direct his way. Hey, do you know why Larry Sauls has direction for his life? Do you know why? See, people see that. They say, hey, this guy's got it together. This guy knows where he, because he's got commitments to righteousness and godliness. The world looks at him and says, hey, Sauls has got it together. And therefore, that's an attraction for people to come to Christ. They're attracted by that. See, they say, Robbie, he's got it together. And therefore, that, that what people see, his testimony, is an attraction. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Go on to verse 6. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them. The unfaithful will be caught by their lust. They'll get entangled in their lust. But the righteousness of the upright will always get you out of trouble. Always get you out of deep weeds. I always think, when, when I read that concept, I always remember about the, I only been approached by a prostitute one time my whole life in all the travels I've made around the world. That was in Norfolk, Virginia. That's right. And on a Saturday night, I'd come for a revival, and she was drunk. And she came up and wanted you know, if I wanted somebody to keep me company all night. I didn't have to get down on my knees and pray. And I didn't have to call home to Shirley to see what she thought. <laughs> I mean, if I valued my life, I, I, I wouldn't call her. <laughs> no, it wasn't a problem. Absolutely not. No, I'm fine. And you got a problem. You know, a drunk woman's not attractive anyway. Did you know that? I mean, that's the, now that is a gold ring and a pig snout right there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> what was I on here? Verse 6. <laughs> the righteousness of the upright will deliver them. It'll get you out of all kinds of trouble. Your commitment to godliness and your commitment to righteousness will keep you from all sorts of trouble. There is a sense in which righteousness carries its own internal reward because it guides your life. You see what I'm saying? It gives you direction for your life. 
Go on, if you will, to verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. <laughs> Did you know that? Sometimes problems are on your way, and God lets them just zoom over your head and go on to the wicked. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, which, by the way, leads me always to wonder, why do righteous people ever envy the wicked? And yet we do. Read Psalms. We envy the wicked because we think they're getting away with murder. They can do things we cannot do. Hey, they're not getting away with murder. They're getting away with judgment, but it will come due to them at the end time. And so the scripture goes on, verse 24. There is one who scatters and increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right. Hey, the life that gives and scatters fruit and plants a tree of life increases the more. Do you know what the truth is about this verse? I believe that I'm not a tree, but I'm a vineyard keeper. And I believe in my vineyard are the trees of life, which are expressions of who I am. My spiritual gifts, what the, 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 the divine qualities that I've asked God to develop in me are like trees in my vineyard. Man told me last week he bought a, a little place that had 12 different kinds of fruit trees, two each tree. And the only thing producing, he said, was cherries and uh, red delicious apples. And he cut all the others down. Are uh, you supposed to have two trees of every kind? But he's, he had two, but I don't know. There must have been the wrong two. But uh, uh, he kept those two. Now, that's the way a Christian's life is. See, if you've got the gift of mercy... Your mercy is over here producing a tree of mercy, and that mercy attracts people to your vineyard. How many have the gift of mercy? I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. How many have the gift of mercy? Raise your hand. Come on. More of you got the mercy, gift of mercy than that. Okay. How many of you? BJ, you got the gift of mercy. Yeah, you have. Raise, raise your hand. You need to raise your hand. Okay. How many have got the gift of giving? You just love to give. Raise your hand. That's your gift. You just love to give. Come on, Brian. Raise your hand. You love to give. Sherry's raising her hand. Okay. There are some people who just love to give. See, the act of giving is the fruit of the righteous, and it plants a tree, and that tree attracts people. And that's what our lives are to be, that we, we've got a vineyard. All my gifts. You know, I started out years ago asking God to develop in me about seven or eight uh, godly qualities. I am now up to 67 godly virtues in my life I'm asking the Lord to develop. I've got 67 trees in my vineyard that I'm trying to keep going to produce fruit. That's what he says. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And over here, you've got this gift and that gift and that gift, and you don't have the same ones I have, and I don't have the same ones you have, but all of us have gifts that are fruit that produce trees that attract people. And let me give you three specific ones in the Bible. Let me just give you three examples. Um, one of those is, uh, that attracts is uh, the quality of strength. Strength. Let me show you what I mean by that. Go, hold your hand here and go back to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat has led the people down into an ambush that had been, I'll wait for you to find it. It's right after First Chronicles 
Right, right there. It's, it's, it's there. And uh, Jehoshaphat had led the king of Judah, had led his, his uh, put his army in the back. He led the people down into an ambush at En Gedi, and he led them singing and praising God. And God overcame the enemy. They didn't know what to do with their singing, so they fought with each other and destroyed each other. So in verse 24, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness where the ambush was supposed to be, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. Did you see that, class? They marched back praising God because he had defeated the enemy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. Now look at the next verse. What was the effect of the fruit of victory on the lives of all the nations around? Verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. See, it wasn't the wisdom of Jehoshaphat that drove, that made the, their enemies leave them alone. They saw God's hand on Jehoshaphat's life. They saw this king lead his people in obedience to God. They saw God give that victory. And when they did, the strength of Judah and the strength of a people of God was such that everybody left them alone. And they said, wow, wouldn't it be something to be like Judah, to be in Judah? And it was the strength of God in their lives that brought them and attracted them to the God of Judah. There's another thing. Not only does uh, such strength attract, us and bring, uh, attract others and bring peace, but other people are attracted out of blessing and plenty. I mean, when, when a man of God or a woman of God honors God, their lives are blessed and filled with every good thing they need. And the world looks at that and says, look at how God is blessing this man, this woman. Chapter 3 of Proverbs. Chapter 3. You can see it right here. Here's a promise in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I know people that just make small salaries, but they live very well and they've always got things organized and together. And I know people who make vast amounts of money and they're always a day late and a dollar short and they never can get it all together. You could give me a list of 25 people in the same occupation in this church. And without even looking at their giving record, I can tell you which ones tithe and which ones don't. Because the ones that honor God are honored by God. It's just as simple as that. I, have, I am old and I was young, the psalmist said, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And every one of us in this building knows people, they make a lot of money, but they cannot get it together. And they wonder why. I'll tell you why. They haven't honored God on a consistent, regular basis. My Bible says you cannot outgive God. 
and we are to honor the Lord. You don't need to study that in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, or anything else. I mean, the truth is the truth. If you honor God, you're going to have blessing. Sooner or later, God is going to bless you. He said to Samuel, whoever honors me, him will I honor. It's as simple as that. Now, I didn't say you're going to drive a BMW, and I didn't say you'll always be well. I'm just saying you'll have what you need, and your life will be attractive. It will be a fruit of your life which will attract people to Jesus, to the God in you, the Christ in you. That's what it will do. There's a third thing. There are many others. I'm just giving you three examples. There's a third thing that attracts people to Christ through you, and that's wisdom. While you're in chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 13. And here he says that happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her proceeds, wisdom's proceeds, are better than the profits of silver. You're better off to have wisdom than to have a million dollars. Her gain is more than fine gold. She is, wisdom is more precious than rubies and all the things you desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a what? Now, underline that right there. She is a what? Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. One of the trees I've got planted out here in my vineyard, I want a tree of wisdom planted. I want God to make me wise. I want God to make me kind. I want God to make me merciful. I want God to make me compassionate. I want God to make me a giver. I want God to make me uh, a planner. I want God to, to fill me with his spirit. So all the, the fruit out of my life will be producing trees that then will produce more fruit. And if we just do that, friend, you have no idea what God will do with your life. And you've got the gift of mercy. Have you got your tree planted out there? Well, you say, how do we get our compensation? Let's get back to the last point, the compensation of the righteous. Verse 30 says, the um, fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? I mean, if God gives the righteous some reward in this life, well, we know we got something coming in the life to come. What is the compensation of the righteous? Well, it's the second line of verse 30. Folks, survey after survey after survey says that what employees want is not always more money, but much more often they want to know their lives, their jobs are significant. And the thing that attracts people to Jesus is the fruit of the righteous, the trees we planted. And the reward of the righteous is the reward of knowing that I am a soul winner. I'm a soul collector. I am a soul harvester. I have got an influence for Christ. Highest thing, you couldn't give me a million dollars, and it would not be worth as much as the knowledge that some way God is using my life to influence somebody else. Hey, get in your car and come with me. Let's drive up beyond Mount Airy, and let's go up to Sam Levering's orchard, and let's go into Sam's peach, I don't know, has, he got, has Levering got peach trees? I don't know. But let's go to his peach trees, and over here are 500 trees. And there are 75 people gathered around two trees. Now, you know where I'm going to get my peaches? Where do you think I'm going? I'm going where those people are. 
Why? Because fruit of the tree attracted those people. Those trees have got good fruit. I was driving through a town the other day uh, with my, my, my brother and my sister, and, and they wanted to stop at a restaurant, and there was nobody there. It was 12.30 at noon, and only two cars there. I'm not stopping at any restaurant with two cars at 12.30. They haven't attracted anybody but their food. We went on down the road in about 25 cars. They said, you might have to wait in line. I said, it's okay. There's a reason for the line. Amen? There's got to be a reason for that line. And that's the way it is with a believer. Every one of us has a vineyard. We've got an orchard. Our gifts, our abilities, it might be music. It might be mercy. We've got a, we've got a bunch of trees out there. And it's our job to capture the fruit, receive the fruit, gather the fruit. That's what a soul winner is. I like what one of the early church fathers said. He said, witness everywhere you go, and when necessary, use words. Did you hear what I said? Witness everywhere you go, and when necessary, use words. Because there's an influence of my life. It's the fruit of the righteous, which is a tree of life, and whoever gathers souls is wise. That's why since 1966, I've been devoting a proportionate amount of my time to training soul winners. Since 1969, we've been doing Share Life. In fact, this evening at 5, there'll be a Share Life refresher course for anybody and everybody who's been through it once. I want to find ways I can drop fruit so trees will be planted, so my life will start reproducing, or else Christianity can die with this generation. This church has got a powerful, influential people in it. And I don't mean you're president of the board of Reynolds. What I mean is everybody here has got a network that you influence for Christ. And you've got a vineyard. And if you're going to produce fruit and pick up souls and collect souls, there are four things you're going to have to do. Here are the four laws, quickly. There's the law of cultivation. Get your ground, your relationships ready. When you're going to plant a tree, what do they tell you? Dig the hole twice as big as the ball and then fill it with manure and mulch and whatever all around it and then pack it and pile it up. Get that ground cultivated. Actually, we ought to be planting new trees constantly. I started out trying to ask God to help me develop uh, eight godly virtues, and I told you I was up to 67. And almost every year I see another one. I'm trying to plant a new tree. By the time I'm 103, I hope to have maybe 103 trees in my vineyard. Ways that my life would attract people, ways that fruit from my life would plant trees that would attract people that I could then scoop up, win, collect, receive, gather together for the glory of Christ. That's what we do together. Secondly, there's the law of planting. After you cultivate, you got to plant. You, you're not going to grow anything if you don't. You can cultivate all you want, but you got to put something in the ground. Third, then you have to nurture. Over and over again, get that pitchfork in there. Stir that up around the roots. Make sure the roots can get their feeding. Nurture that plant. Nurture that relationship. If somebody, if, if you've got the gift of helps and you've been helping somebody, uh, then, then nurture that, that tree you planted out there. Nurture that gift of helps. Practice helping somebody every day. If you've got the gift of giving, you, you cultivate your tree by giving something away every day. I try to say no to something every day. Friday, I said no to the third pork chop. 
But I said, no. And that's the way we cultivate our gift. That's the way we cultivate the tree of life. The fruit out of our lives, which, which plants a tree. You cultivate it by, by, by digging around the roots and loosening the roots so it can produce. Practice giving. Practice loving. Practice compassion. Cultivate the fruit that's coming out of your life. And the last one is the law of maturing. Let that tree mature. Give it time to produce. Prune it when necessary. Keep the dead weight off of it. And the result will be your life will be like a vineyard with many different fruit dropping and many different trees planted. And it will attract people to Jesus. And then you can scoop them up. He that wins souls, he that gathers souls is wise. Everybody in here, everyone has influence for Christ. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. I have a friend who went into Burma recently. It's now called, well, what's the name? Uh, Myanmar, I believe. They changed the name. And for years, we thought there were only 50 Christians in Burma. And he went to do a pastor's conference back up in the hills. He had to walk three miles to get to where he was going. And the men, the pastors who came for this conference, about 30 of them, some of them had walked for two or 300 miles. And one day after the conference, the leader of the conference said, come over here, I want you to meet one of my pastors. He said, I want you to meet Pastor Thulong. And there came a little wizened old man in his early 60s. And uh, he couldn't understand English, so they used an interpreter. And he said, I want you to hear Pastor Thulong, uh, Thulong's story. See, th the truth is, we thought there was just a handful of believers in Burma. But l now listen to this, what God had done. He said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, a little over 40 years. What have you done with your life? Well, he said, uh, at last count, I have planted 67 churches in my lifetime. House churches. 67. In the 40 years, he'd been imprisoned, I think, 27 or 28 times. And 23 of those times when he was in prison, he had been beaten for the cause of Christ. But he'd come right back out to bear fruit. And then Don said, I asked him, in 40 years, how many people have you baptized? This is in a closed country where they're not allowed to meet openly. And Pastor Thulong said, I've kind of lost count. But at last count, it was just over 11,000 people I have personally by hand baptized in my ministry. And when Don Orvis told me that story, I said, I haven't done anything for Jesus. I haven't done much of anything for him. Oh, you say, I know, but it depends on where God plants you. I know that. But I want to ask you the question this morning. Is your life bearing fruit 
Are people being attracted because of the trees of life that are coming out of the fruit of your life? How's your vineyard doing? Have you planted any new trees lately? Have you started any new relationships? Have you used what God has given you to start any, build any new friendships to attract people to Christ? When we started our prayer ministry, I've had a hard time keeping up with these cards. Here they are. When we started our prayer ministry, one night God gave me an idea, and I've had uh, several thousand of these printed. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When you leave here today, go buy the ministry resources. I've had some really nice cards printed up, and they say, Calvary Baptist Church, we serve the community through prayer. Let us serve you by praying for you or someone you love. We invite you to communicate your prayer request by, and then we tell them how to get in touch. So I thought, you know, that's, that's a way for this church to bear fruit. What if everybody here took two of those cards, and, and how many are going to eat out this week? You're probably going to eat somewhere this week. Come on, raise your hand. You're going to eat out somewhere. Okay. How many are going to eat out twice? How many are going to eat out seven times? You can have seven cards. Well, we got great plans for your, your husband, haven't you? But, but take a, several of these cards. Give them to somebody who might, and, and say, our church loves to serve the community by praying for you. Call our prayer minister. We got 660 people praying, and we'll get that prayer request to those people. Or leave this card with a tip. They're out there on the ministry resource kit, but it's a way to drop fruit. It's a way to make our lives attractive. It's a way to have a community witness. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who collects, wins, gathers up souls is wise. If you've never trusted Jesus, we love you. We want you to come to Christ. We'd love to talk and pray with you. I'm going to invite some of you to come and join this church and say, I want to serve the Lord here in this place. And there are others of you, many of you, perhaps most of you, who ought to walk down this aisle. I'm going to ask to come. If you're a soul winner now, you've already made a commitment to be a soul winner. You want to be an influencer for Christ. You want to be a fruit bearer. I'm going to ask you to walk down this aisle quickly and just speak to the pastor, say, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to renew my commitment to be a fruit bearer, to be a soul winner. You may want to kneel and pray for somebody, but I want you to get up out of your seat. And I want you to come and say, I'm going to be an influence for Christ. If God could use our church as this verse suggests, we would baptize 500 people for the Lord, folks. We could do it. Let's stand. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And our hymn is 327. Jesus is calling. I'm going to ask for you to look for the nearest aisle. And if you've never accepted Christ, come. The pastors are waiting. If you'd like to join the church, come and say, I want to be a fruit bearer for Christ. You come and take one of the pastors by the hand as we sing. You step out for Christ.